Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. My name is Mike Indivina, and thank you for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Brad Garcia, and if you're not familiar with Brad, Brad is a musician, a composer, a songwriter, a producer based out of the Toronto area. He's also had a lot of success with his bands. He's in a band called Locket, which used to be called Safe to Say, and he's also in another band called Like Pacific. And in today's episode, we dive deeper into Brad's work in the music publishing space. Now, I know a lot of you listening to this may be songwriters yourselves, and you might be trying to figure out different avenues that you might be able to make some money off of your music with. And the world of music publishing is definitely a potentially lucrative area that a lot of people don't consider. And music publishing can entail so many different things. It could be writing songs for other musicians. It can be doing what Brad does, which is writing music for picture and for TV commercials and that kind of thing. And we get into all the specifics about what's involved with music publishing and taking on these kind of gigs and how to break into the industry with this. And I think you're going to find it very fascinating. You know, Brad talked about how sometimes you'll just get hired to write six seconds worth of music. You know, how crazy is that, that you can get paid to make six seconds worth of music? You know, so cool. And again, definitely an area of the music industry that I think a lot of people forget about. And like Brad talks about in this interview, you know, a lot of us start from this place of wanting to be musicians ourselves and be the rock stars and bands and that kind of thing. But sometimes there's other avenues where you can have a more sustainable career. So in this episode, I think you're going to learn a lot about music publishing and what's involved with it. So if you're someone who's interested in the world of music publishing and getting your songs licensed and all that kind of stuff, you're going to really enjoy this episode. So with that said, let's just jump into it. Brad Garcia, thank you so much for being on the Mastery Mix podcast. What's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, enjoying release week with the band and uh, getting dinner ready for my wife. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Making something good. Uh, making a butternut squash soup. Ooh, yeah, lovely. that time of the year. <laughs> of course, yeah. For people who might not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of your background in terms of who you are, what you do, and ultimately how you got into everything? Yeah, um, I guess most people, if they do know who I am, it's uh, because of one of my bands. Uh, the main one being Locket, who uh, was formerly under the moniker Safe to Save for most of the 2010s, uh, between you know 2012 and. 2017 i would say um yeah playing pretty actively in like the local toronto scene and then you know things start to snowball when one band in your scene gets picked up so uh we were fortunate enough to tour around the states a bunch to go to europe to go to the uk um we did a full stint of the vans warp tour right before that (laughs) came to an end which was an awesome kind of bucket list experience for us um and then yeah we in 2017 2018, uh, we kind of regrouped and rebranded ourselves as Locket. Um, we've been putting out music through Fearless Records in the States, and uh, we're an, an entirely, I guess, self-contained unit, if you want to call it that. Um, we're kind of very hands-on with everything from the artwork. Uh, we self-engineer everything. Our guitarist, Corey, is our primary mix engineer, uh, unless, you know, I have my two cents to throw into the mix. Um, but that's kind of our, our thing. Uh, we just like to to create stuff together and be as hands-on as possible. I love it. How did you get into the production side of things? Like, obviously you started as a musician, but like, where did that come into play for you? Yeah, I think most producers are probably musicians. It would, uh, it would seem very odd to me if they weren't. Um, I think just being in the studio, like we have the, I guess we're fortunate in the sense that Corey, technically runs a commercial studio in Ottawa. So we have like all these tools at our disposal and have had them at our disposal for however many years. Um, and Corey having gone to Algonquin uh, doing their, like whatever that program is there for sound engineering and all that. Um, he's just a guy who's like very eager to, to show what he knows and to share what he knows. Um, and because we, you know, kind of have this, the keys to the studio, which most bands don't have um, it was it was like the perfect environment to kind of just like be the fly on the wall over the years and, and learn to pick things up, not necessarily realizing that, you know, down the road, my life would end up being this like full-time producer, composer, whatever you want to call it, uh, sort of career. Um, but that was like my introduction into, I, I guess what you want to call producing. And then, you know, you have friends in the local scene that want to record music with you and 
if they want to record with someone like Corey or someone like a Sam or an Anton, um, it's very common to like bring other friends <laughs> on board. I don't know if that's the case everywhere, uh, but our little community and our little, I don't know, our corner of the music scene uh, seems very collaborative, at least from my perspective. Yeah, the Toronto scene is definitely very collaborative. Very, very small yeah. community of people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's like an overlap of people playing in multiple bands, myself included. Um, so you're always trying to like bring all the pieces together no matter what the project is. So, you know, there were little projects here and there over the years uh, that I happened to just be in the studio, whether it was because I was hanging out um, or because they wanted me to, you know, to write and lend my ears to a record. Um, and then I think around, I want to say around 2020. Uh, so we signed to Fearless with the band in 2019. And then around 2020, we were offered a publishing deal uh, from Concord Music Publishing. And that company actually acquired our label, I think the same year, earlier the year before. So one of the first conversations I had with my publisher, Tom, was, uh, you know, like, how can I... How can I like make the most of this situation um, on the publishing front? Because he was the first person that was so on the nose, uh, so brutally honest about our record deal, kind of saying, you know, we're here to bleed you dry, essentially. <laughs> like this is the business of exploitation. Um, so if there That's is That's exactly what you want to hear whenever you sign a deal, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I I am so appreciative of that because it it totally changed how I see the band and its role in my life. Um when the publishing deal was offered by him, you know, being someone who works for the company who is quote unquote bleeding us dry. Uh, you, someone like me, like appreciates hearing something like that because he's not just saying that to be like, you know, throw his middle fingers up and say, we're going to squeeze you and leave you in the lurch. It's kind of like, here's your lifeline. Here is something that can benefit you more than just these songs you have with your band. Um, so of course the pandemic hits and you know, the whole music world is kind of, <laughs> in high panic mode, <laughs> uh, which it was almost like the, the perfect storm and the perfect recipe for me to kind of like put all of these years of being the fly on the wall, um, knowing how to use the gear knowing how to arrange and how to write and how to compose and um, kind of like fully immerse myself with a nothing to lose kind of attitude because, you know, it's not like, if I spend a week <laughs> grinding away, learning how to write an orchestral trailer piece of music, uh, I'm not losing anything because, you know, you can't work retail, you can't work, you know, your regular office job, you can't be on the road with the band. Um, so I was really appreciative of that in the sense that it was like, like I said, like a lifeline being thrown. Um, yeah. And then from there, kind of just, kind of just trying to find that little avenue that like resonates the most with me, which is still something that I find is changing all the time. Um, you know, he, the same guy, uh, Tom DeSavia said to me, there are, there are two ways you could go about this publishing thing. You can go artist route and, you know, try to fight for those <laughs> top 40 hits, uh, get in the room, mingle with other producers and engineers and artists, or you could go the other way and do the music to picture side. And he said, you know, most people try to do the artist thing because it is seen by the majority as like the cooler approach or the cooler avenue, um, which was a surprise to me because that's not how I viewed it at all. Interesting. Even though I was like, you know, eager to have the connections now to possibly get in the room with some artists or producers I, I admired and looked up to. Um, I've just like always had a love for TV music and like film music. That's just stuff that like itches my brain <laughs> the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I kind of tried to get my foot into both off the jump. Um, and I, like, I am a person who does not like to waste too much time if I, if I don't see like a clear path to what I'm trying to get to. Um, so it was helpful to like do the artists kind of like, you know, pitching demos and working with other producers just to like get my production chops up. Um, and I was primarily doing it in like the pop, hip hop, R and B space, which is like so different than the band world I'm accustomed to. Uh, but it was like a great learning experience. And then from there, I found getting stuff synced or you know placed or like pitched to use for 
brands, which is essentially what I do, like the bulk of my work in now, um, it was so much easier, like so much easier in that I didn't have to rely on other people. It's something for the most part that like, if you don't need to collaborate, you don't have to, you can do most of it yourself uh, in a home setup like I have, which is great. It's super flexible. Um, and yeah, that's like kind of how I, I got off the ground running. I, I mean, I could talk at length about like, every step in between you know, 2020 and now as well. Um, but that's primarily like how I got into all of this. But that's cool though. And I, I think that that is really awesome of your publisher to like be as honest with you about that. Mm. And it obviously sounds like you had someone in your corner who really believed in you and what you were doing enough to even have that conversation, right? Like I'm yeah, sure if they didn't absolutely. feel that way, they'd just be like, yeah, you're a new signing, you're an artist, like just do your thing. Um, you know, but at least like giving you those options opened the door to an opportunity for you to, you know, try to get in there. And, and, and yeah. that in itself was probably a test of some sort to see like, you know, how hungry are these people? Right. Yeah. And you know what? I, I do think that there is like a, I'm at this age right now where a lot of the friends I have that are in bands we came up with are, you know, either closing the door on that chapter and, and moving on to the the regular day job or the career path or, you know, putting that university degree to use. Um, I do find there is a huge difference between a band of band people and a band of musicians. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that because I have so many friends that are in like, maybe panic mode, maybe kind of like, what am I going to do if, if the band and the gigging and the touring comes to an end, uh, if I'm not making records anymore. And I've just learned that like, there's, there's so much more that being in a band can offer uh, this publishing deal being one of them, um, you know, writing for sync. That's a huge thing. Like in, in Nashville, a lot of the writers and artists I know, that's like their bread and butter. That is like what puts a roof over their head. And when you've been doing this as long as I have, like in music in some way or another, it's almost like, do I have transferable skills? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So to be able to like use everything you have learned from, you know, working with others in the studio, producing, making mix revisions, doing all this stuff, and then finding a different avenue that's actually like, you know, making you money and paying bills and putting a roof over your head. Uh, I feel like the musicians will seek that out mm-hmm. is often what I find. And a lot of the people that do what I do, you know, have played in bands. Um, they know how to do everything, which is probably becoming more common now. I'm sure like most people you talk to will say the same thing, but it's rare to find someone who just mixes or someone who just engineers. Like everyone has something they enjoy doing more than everything else. Yeah, um, but especially in in my line of work now, uh, the turnaround times are crazy. They are twenty four hours. Like I I got sent a job earlier this afternoon. It's it's due tomorrow at four, and that's like that's more common than getting a, a full work week. You know, timeline to to turn something around. And that twenty four hours has to be the music has to be written. It's got to be mixed. It's got to be mastered. Uh, it potentially has to be revised before that, that deadline comes in. Um, so you get used to just like (laughs) really, really pumping stuff out fast. And if you can, like if you can't mix and you can't master and you you can't tweak these things, uh, up to the level that, you know, the pros can do, you're kind of going to get left behind. You're not gonna be able to hit the deadlines or you're not gonna be able to hit a deadline and make it uh, competitive enough. I guess you could say that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, like the more, the uh, the quicker you get, the more you optimize your systems and all that stuff, the faster your output's going to be and potentially the more opportunities you're going to get and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that makes a lot of sense there. Um, so like going back to when you were kind of exploring this publishing route, like, where did you start with that? Cause you, you obviously came into it from like the band side of things. Yeah. So did you just like, at that point where you just like, okay, I'm just going to write a crap ton of material and build up a portfolio and present this or like, what did that look like? Yeah, essentially. Um, when they signed us to publishing, they were essentially after the band. Uh, they wanted our catalog that, you know, they paid us the advance for music we had previously released. Um, and then I think when they realized that two out of the four of us are, like, this is what we do. We produce, we engineer, we mix, we, we compose, we write for other people. I think their ears kind of perked up a little bit. Um, 
and immediately I started getting emails saying, Hey, do you want to pitch for this? Or do you want to pitch for that? Um, but my publisher again, coming in clutch, uh, told me, you know, if you're going to do anything, I would suggest put together maybe 10 demos, 10 songs. That's kind of something that can show how broad your palette is. Um, because it is also a game of relationships when you're in like this kind of work, you know, that's something that also makes the, the writing for artists kind of hard for people, especially like if you're me that's coming from band world and then like trying to get your foot in the door <laughs> in the pop, hip hop, whatever world. Um, unless you know someone, it, it can feel like it's an impossible task. So yeah, I think I put together, I think I probably put together like 30 to 40 <laughs> tracks and then sent them maybe 10 or 15 uh, after I could like filter through. Um, but in there was everything from just like, you know, straight up top 40 trap hip hop, whatever, uh, to underscores, to trailer cues, to to little things like that, just to show like, hey, I I think I can do this. Uh, if you also think I can do this, help <laughs> me out. Um, and then, yeah, going from there, I found myself at first very overwhelmed with the the rate at which stuff has to be pumped out and produced. Yeah. And on top of that, this this whole thing with my publisher has been interesting because most of my work actually hasn't gone like most of my work that has now been seen on TV and stuff hasn't really gone through them. Um, I found myself in a position where I was writing and competing within my own roster at uh, Concord. But if you look at that Concord roster, like that is you're fighting against like the heavyweights you're like competing against the best of the best. Um, you know, you could scroll through and within the the first 10 artists, like, you know, pull out 10 of them <laughs> that are on, you know, charting top 40, ch- uh, charting top 20 in the States and worldwide. So that was something I had to wrap my head around. Uh, like I said, I don't like to waste too much time trying to fight my way through something if I can find a clearer path to get what I want. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means it's not like, part of the course it might be you know a little bit of a deviation here and there uh so what i was seeking out initially was canadian writers to write with that might already have a foot in the door in these spaces in the ad spaces in the film and tv spaces and what i ended up finding was like this whole world of audio production houses uh essentially in canada because I also found during COVID, <laughs> it's so important to show face and you can do stuff over Zoom. It's not the same. And I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Yeah. Um, so I figured this would be a great place to start to at least like be a physical presence in a room, You know, even if it's sitting in on a session, uh, shaking hands, showing face, doing all that. Um, so from there, I just started making contacts with audio houses. Um, eventually getting offers to pitch for commercial jobs. And I think the first one I got sent, I landed, <laughs> which was pretty crazy, um, which is for like an international Ford campaign. So <laughs> That's like, a pretty big one to get as your first yeah, one. Yeah. Like, oh, this job's was, easy. Uh, I should have done this forever ago. <laughs> that, yeah. I had that, I had that thought on more than one occasion, but it, you know, it was nice. <laughs> it was like really validating to, I don't know, like w- with the band stuff, you can be a, a band person and fight, 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 fight for that five seconds of, you know, quote unquote, making it or, or whatever that thing you're striving for is. And when you play the comparison game, you know, we, we have friends that are pulling in anywhere between like half a million to a million monthly listeners that are touring nonstop and playing with thousands of people. It's really easy to get down on yourself and think, damn, am I not good at this? Like, is this not, mm-hmm. is this not the thing that I think it is in my life? Um, so yeah, to land, you know, your first, <laughs> your first job, your first gig and have it be something of that magnitude is, is super validating. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I think that like, there's a couple of points that you brought up there, which I think are important to touch on. And, um, one of the ones that you mentioned was like the idea of speed and just getting used to working in that fast of an environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are just really slow in this industry. You know, whether it's like slow to write a song or slow to engineer a song or produce it or mix it. And like there are people that I know that have been like literally spending years to finish like one song, you know. So then when you come when you get into like this end of things, it's like 
maybe you didn't anticipate the speed, but you have to very quickly learn like, okay, like let's get my shit together so I can turn around things in a, in a day. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It, it's done something to the way I approach writing music for artists as well. Uh, whether it's like my own projects or other people's projects, because I'm on this like 24 hour turnaround, I have to rely so much, much on things that are instinctual, you know, like I often have to grab attention in a piece of composed music for an advertisement within five seconds. Um, so how do you make that work? You can transfer the same thing to a hook or an intro to a, to a pop song or something like that. Um, so it's really helped to not make the process longer than it has to be. And I find often when you're relying on your instincts, you end up taking away, you know, the better choices that you would otherwise not be making if you had, you know, the luxury of spending a month, two months, a year going back and forth on things. Um, so even with with my band in this past record that we've done, since I'd already been in this composing game for, you know, a year or two years, uh, I was able to kind of bring that to the table and it helped speed things up on the writing front, uh, like tenfold almost. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's true, like, especially with TV stuff, it's like you have to catch people's attention right away. As soon as mm-hmm. that commercial comes on, if, if you spend any time waiting to get to like the catchy thing, you've lost people and that ad's going to tank and whatever, right? You're not going to get those gigs afterwards. Um, but also you're right that it's also very transferable as far as, you know, whether it's songwriting for a band or if it's for TV, that kind of thing. I remember going to a conference, like, I don't know, I feel like it was like 15 years ago, like Canadian music week. And they had someone there talking about how at the time, uh, I think it was like 90% of the songs in the billboard top 100 got to vocals within the first seven seconds, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember thinking at that point, like, oh man, seven seconds, that's pretty fast. But it's so true. And I feel like it's even faster these days, you know? And, and Oh yeah. And so when you have that kind of thing in mind, it, it really does shape how you approach writing. And, you know, you, you, you try not to bore people right away, you know? Like you get right to the catchy thing. Yeah. And you know what is, like, it's super useful. I, I'm not someone who like has cable <laughs> personally. So if, in order for me to see a lot of the stuff I work on, I, I usually have to, to be streaming a, a hockey game or I'm at a friend's house. Uh, but it is so helpful to watch advertisements if this is, you know, at least for my world, if you're primarily writing in TV, it's it's helpful to be watching TV. Um, I never skip ads anymore, which is something I always <laughs> used to do. And someone at my publishing company said, like, do not skip ads because it's like, it's priceless information. Almost, you know, um, that little jingle you hear in the background of a, a five second phone commercial or, uh, you know, the sting at the end of a subway commercial or something like that. You don't realize how much work and thought goes in to making these things like the earworms that they are. Mm-hmm. So to be constantly paying attention to the trends that are going around uh, sonically, as well as, you know, you're going to see references repeat themselves in briefs more often than not. Whether it's, hey, we we like this sparse, jazzy piano thing that we've been seeing on Verbo and Airbnb ads. Like, we'd like to, to utilize that here. It's sometimes they're going to reference things and have a video that you can watch and, and go back to as you're bouncing off point. Sometimes they won't. And sometimes things get lost in translation because the people writing the briefs aren't necessarily musicians themselves. So that's another part of your brain. You really have to work to kind of decode what's being sent to you Uh, more often than not. Like I'm afforded the luxury of working with really talented music directors who kind of do that job for you. But even then, um, you know, you'll, you'll get a client feedback note that says, Hey, this feels too, this feels too uh, like heavy in, in the low end. And you might think that's a mixed thing, but you also have to, to realize, Hey, was this person sending the note a musician or was it an advertising (laughs) client? If it's an advertising client, what they might mean is the, you have, we don't want drums and bass. We just want drums. It, it might be an arrangement thing. Um, so communication is like a, a whole other skill I've had to to perfect to like make the the broken telephone as like <laughs> non-complex yeah. as it can end up being sometimes. Where you know you might find yourself on revision nine just because it's it's a client who's having a hard time speak musically without that kind of vocabulary, um, which is no one's fault, but you know, it, it's a roadblock that comes up. So, yeah, but it's kind of interesting too, because like the majority of people listening to these songs or whatever, aren't musicians. So like, 
you know, you're kind of getting that perspective of like the average listener at that point, you know, like yeah. how they would describe it, how they feel about the, the, the emotions and all that kind of stuff. And you know what, that's, that's something that kind of circles back to what I was touching on before. Um, I, I say this now when I'm writing music with like either friends or artists, or if I'm working on an ad thing, I have to listen to it. And if I can say it's good, like that's it. Is it good? It's good. That I, I try to not touch it beyond that. Um, because I know most of the people listening to it are not going to have a musician's ear. They, they just want to know, Hey, that's a catchy song. That's it. Um, if you can go beyond that, that's amazing. But that first jumping off point is so helpful to just write something that's like accessible. It's not competing too much with picture. If you're working a picture, um, and I have artists that I've worked with before that just, they like aren't artists in the true sense of the word where they pine over every little detail and every nuance of their lyrics or, you know, the song arrangement. And I say this and, and my bandmate Corey says this, it's kind of, like, what is our goal here? Are we trying to make something good, enjoyable, like something people want to come back to? That should be the first thing we, we tackle. If we want to add all the layers of, you know, metaphor, what's symbolic to you, what's like a cool production trick, we can do that later. But like those things are not going to do anything if the song itself isn't already, you know, 80% of the way there. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then you talked about like making this, making this like catalog of things. And you talked about like trying to build that network of people and getting into publishing houses, which I think that in itself is like, that could be a whole other conversation too. Of like, you know, just getting your foot in the door with, with those people. Right. Like, um, so maybe, maybe let's actually start there. So like, as far as like getting into these places where you just like literally popping into like random publishing houses and being like, Hey, I'm a songwriter. Here's my portfolio. Like, check this out. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't speak on everyone's journey. If you want to call it a journey. Um, I can just kind of touch on what I have done. That's proven successful. Uh, but the first audio house I approached was not, I had it in the back of my mind that I eventually wanted to, to weasel my way into working for, you know, advertisements and, working a picture and stuff like that. Um, but there was a mutual connection at one of these companies and my publisher who happened to be Canadian. So I thought, okay, this is, this is another great use of my publisher. It's not just them getting me placements and stuff. It's, you know, having their network of people at my fingertips. So I got in touch with, um, a writer producer kind of do it all guy named Ryan Condrat, who is a partner at Grayson music in Toronto. Um, who now is like, that company feels like family to me. It's what I do 90% of my work with. Um, I got in touch with him to be a potential, you know, co-write, sending an email. Hey man, what's up? My name's Brad. I'm also published with Concord. I'm in Toronto. I would love to get together and write some music if you got stuff going on. If I have stuff going on, like we should meet up. And he was super quick to get back to me. I think within the day he asked to FaceTime, which was awesome. I don't know if that's <laughs> a normal thing or not. Um, but I hopped on FaceTime. Uh, he seemed like a nice dude, down to earth, easy to talk to. And I think within that day, we planned to get myself into writing sessions with a couple of local Toronto artists to like do sync work and stuff. Um, so I think like a huge lesson there, A, is to just like take the opportunities that are given to you. It might not seem like the obvious, like, hey, I want to get into advertising, but this isn't advertising. So I'm going to say no, like take it. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's really easy for someone with with a musical mind to understand. Oh, okay, they're doing a great job working on this artist's like pop project. Obviously, they would be great at producing, you know, pop jams, Dua Lipa style stuff for a McDonald's ad or for a Pepsi spot or something. Um, so they were the ones who offered me the Ford uh, pitch back in I think 2021, maybe end of yeah 2021, um, and it was like after a month or so of like doing some artist stuff with them. And I, <laughs> I kind of just kept hounding them and hounding them. Like, let me do advertising stuff. I'd love to do advertising stuff. Um, and I don't think that would have happened if it was just over zoom. Unfortunately, uh, I have a lot of friends that are what I would consider like way more talented musicians, artists, producers than myself, but they aren't in an area that like allows them that face-to-face -face access. And some people like make it work. Uh, I feel like I'm not necessarily one of those people. I feel like I gel way better with people 
in person. Um, so I was finding myself going to like holiday parties, you know, meeting the people in the advertising world to show face. And for anyone that knows me, I'm, I don't drink, like I'm not a very extroverted person. I don't go out too often. Um, so that's something I had to just like wrap my head around was I can prove to them musically that I'm capable of this stuff, but I also have to be someone who they can work with and communicate with and want to to be in a room with potentially, you know? Um, and that's huge. Like I'm sure there are insanely talented people out there that are just a pain in the ass to work with. And more often than not, those people don't end up getting gigs. Like the, the relationship building is 50% of the job, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. And, and it sounds like you created that opportunity for yourself, you know, just like taking mm. a chance of like, you know, hey, do you want to do a, a co-write? Like something as simple as that. It's like it's like a no pressure situation. You just hit you shot your shot and see what happens, right? There's no pressure. And I like I am someone who gets like very anxious about throwing myself into new things. Which is silly because I've been on the receiving end of people saying, hey, we, I'd love to co-write with you. I'd love to collaborate and do X, Y, Z. And it's never something that <laughs> puts me out or offends <laughs> me. Like if anything, it's exciting, right? So yeah. I have to constantly remind myself. And I think people should constantly remind themselves that you know, musicians are musicians. Like at the end of the day, we all have the same like passions and, and interests in this thing that we do. Um, so yeah, sh- shoot your shot, I guess, is like <laughs> what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, for, of course. No, it, it, you're right, though. It's like musician. the musician community is actually like, you're right. We all have the same passion for this stuff. So it's surprising how accessible people are. And even mm-hmm. with this podcast, like I reach out to some people, like some names that I like every time I send an email to a name to like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? I immediately think like they're never going to get back to me. <laughs> and yeah, somehow this yeah. podcast is like almost 200 episodes in now. And like the, the, the majority of ep- majority of episodes are interviews. And it's like, holy shit, how, like that's just from taking a shot, you know? Yeah, dude, m- musicians love music. Like that's that's why we <laughs> that's why we punish ourselves with this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this life, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think I think being able to like reach out to people um you know i've reached out to like producers who i've like sent samples to and stuff i'd never respect or i never expect sorry uh, a dm in return from uh that are like working on huge rmb cuts and stuff like that and you know it doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to use everything right away or it's going to get placed but but just to have that person on the other end say hey this this stuff is is fire this stuff is amazing like if you ever have more send it my way like we'll be in touch um it that kind of validation is it's almost like a a kick of adrenaline to like keep the wheels turning essentially. Um, yeah. And then that, you know, going back to what I was saying about uh, getting the ball rolling and like working for advertisements and stuff like that. Once I put myself out there and maybe this is because I landed the, the first thing that was sent to me. Um, it would have happened. I'm sure at some point it, it will for most people who get into this line of work, like you, you will get something at some point. Um, I know my case probably isn't like the norm, uh, but things will snowball super quickly. Um, you know, I got my first placement on that Ford ad and quickly after that, you know, it, it sparks interest in another music director who says, Oh, like who's this new guy that does this? Like, should we bring him on board for for this new thing? Um, and the more you can kind of, try to replicate what you've done, but add a little bit of something else just to show, Hey, I'm not just the guy who does like, you know, the big Ford Ford rock stuff. I'm not just the guy who does the orchestral underscores. Um, I always try to throw something that's like a little left to center in the request just so it shows people like, Hey, I, I can also do -hmm. this and take this idea further. Which is an interesting idea right there too, because like some people would look at that and be like, I have to do exactly what's what's pitched to me because like those are that's what they want and if I vary from that then like I'm gonna lose the gig because it's it's out of left field you know so it's an interesting approach especially when it's like it's not a sure thing when you're pitching for these ads or you're you're writing to picture you're usually competing with other people um, so you kind of have to to try your best to stand out and it's hard sometimes to have like to have your own voice when you have such strict kind of constraints and guidelines on what the request is uh you know you you can't get too crazy on a tim hortons ad because it's tim hortons (laughs) yeah Uh, so it that is like a fun challenge every time you get something from a a really a really familiar brand that has like 
what I would call a safe kind of demographic and, and target audience where it's kind of like, how can I inject a little bit of something to make, the, make this exciting? Um, sometimes that, that is like the key to, to landing a huge placement. Other times it might not be what the client wants because they're set on, you know, the, the five things they've listed and they don't want to deviate, but the music director you're working with, who is essentially the middle person, they might appreciate hearing that because then they'll have it in the back of the mind. Hey, like the client didn't love this, but we at the audio house all thought this was going to be the track. We thought this was amazing. So come on to this next job with us. Um, you always have to be thinking <laughs> kind of about the next thing because a job can finish and wrap within 24 hours, you know, um, if you're freelance like myself. So yeah. that's, that's something I always keep in mind. And funny enough, I've had jobs where I've done something really weird having, you know, you need to keep things fresh for yourself as well, <laughs> especially in advertising. Things are so based on what's trendy at the moment, you know, what the other guys are doing essentially. Um, and you get in this rut where you find yourself writing 10 different versions of more or less the same track for a, a bunch of different people. <laughs> so <laughs> every once in a while, I'll take a, you know, a shot in the dark at some weird idea I have. And uh, the last few times I've done that, not only has it, like sparked interest in the audio house uh, and gotten great feedback. It's been the track that's been selected for the ad. And then it, later on, you know, a month or so down the line, I received an email from a different audio house who's asking me to come on this job. And when they reference what the client has used as their, their jumping off point, it's been my track from the last time, you know? Um, so that's always helpful too uh, in this world to be like, you know, sharing credits where credits do and stuff like that, because you land something one place, another audio house is going to say, well, we're working with this brand now and that's the guy who did it last time. So he might have, uh, he might have the formula, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It sounds like you definitely have to get used to rejection and you have to just be comfortable with all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, now from a, for people who might not be familiar with this world of like the publishing side of things, like from a financial standpoint, like are you getting paid to write these to like to take your shot for this or is it only if you're getting selected? So when I do stuff for these audio houses, this is another reason I kind of deviated like from my publishing company and went direct for like work for hire composition uh, stuff because what I've primarily done with the publishing companies make connections uh, and, you know, beyond a few like promo things that have landed, that's essentially it. So yeah, like on the Canadian side of things, I'm not sure if it's because we're unionized, but when you are writing for these pitches, you're getting paid a demo fee. Sometimes the audio house will have that set at like 350 a demo. And a demo is anything from six to 30 seconds, um, sometimes a minute, rarely beyond that. Um, if it is beyond that, you know, sometimes they'll pay a little more for your demo, for your time. So it never feels like your time's wasted, essentially. Like, you know, write 15, 30 seconds of music, make 350 bucks. Plus not bad, not that's, bad, eh? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's any musician, you know, at any age would think, oh, that's, that's great. That's a great gig. Um, and then, yeah, from there, there are like multiple ways. If your music does end up getting picked, it can be licensed or it can go through uh, a union contract, which in Canada seems to be a 50, 50 toss up in my experience um, through the AFM or CFM is like our union here. Um, and yeah, it, it's like a normal license, like it, a 13 week cycle is like the average, I think for, for TV. And usually if there's TV, you know, they, they would be silly to not also license your music for online because everyone's watching stuff on their laptops and YouTube and stuff like that. Um, but with the publishing side, when there is a request to come in, like they're not paying, they're not paying for your demos because they've already given you an advance, right. For your publishing, publishing deal. Um, which, you know, some people might be happy to just, yeah, they paid me X amount of dollars for my rights and for my work. I'm happy to do it. Um, but because in our situation, they were signing the ban essentially. Um, it wasn't like, wasn't a number that I feel comfortable with always just like sitting around Monday to Friday, writing demos for free, crossing my fingers. There's <laughs> gotta be some sense of security. Um, so yeah, like with with these audio houses in Canada, there's there's an audio house in Germany I've done some work for as well, who all pay like a demo fee. So no one's time is ever wasted because uh, it's 
it's very easy for a musician in my position to be taken advantage of, I think. Of course. Which, and you know, I've, I'm like everyone else. I've had good and bad experiences with these audio houses. Uh, you got to track your payments. Like, unless you are signed or, you know, a full-time salary paid employee with these places, which is now like very few and far between, because why would you limit yourself to, to four people when you can have this whole palette of, you know, people who dive into hip hop and people who dive into EDM stuff or orchestral, whatever. Um, it's really on you to kind of do everything. Like you're the one looking after your finances. You're the one getting in touch with the accountants. You are the one signing off on contracts. You are like, unless you find a company like a Grayson who has producers that go up and beyond, I think what their job normally would entail where they handle everything for you. So the creator can just focus on the creation. Um, it, it is a lot <laughs> to wrap your head around when yeah. you first get into it. You know, I, I would assume that like every pitch comes along with its own contract as well, right? Like its own terms. I mean, maybe at other places, usually how it works um, when I get in touch with an audio host for the first time, either I'll have an agreement with them about like, here's my demo fee. Gotcha. Like a, like a blanket agreement kind of thing. Yeah. One, one to 30 seconds, you pay me this much. You know, if it goes beyond that, maybe we figure something out. Um, or the audio house more often than not will have like an agreement, a freelancer agreement of their own, which will then lay out like, this is what we pay all our freelancers. You know, if you're, if you registered as a business, your HST is applicable, all that. Um, and it's helpful too. I think when companies do have that, because you're able to see like what the potential is <laughs> to, to bring home, you know, which the older you get as a musician, like the dollar signs are something that are like very much on your mind, especially when you want this to, to be your forever thing. Um, I'm fortunate now where like this will likely be the thing I get to do forever. Um, but at first when you're stepping into this world, it, it's like, it's really murky on what's appropriate pay, what's not, or like what to even expect. Uh, I'm, I'm still in a position where I'm not a hundred percent on like why certain things pay so much more than others. Um, I'll just give like one example. I don't want to get too much into like the money aspect of it, but I've done projects where I've had like 60 tracks with violas and cellos and like all this crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe you sign off on your freelance agreement that you get like between 25 and 50% of the license. Um, so, you know, you get like a few thousand bucks in your account and then they're onto the next job, which is great. It's amazing money to any musician. But then I've done jobs where I've written 10 to 15 seconds with a single line of, you know, piano on a VST and you turn around and okay, Brad invoices for, you know, this job, the license was, you know, like close to a $10,000 mark. And I don't know what, what, like, I don't know if it's because it's a big name brand or like, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I wish I'm, I'm hoping I find that out. And then <laughs> somebody, somebody is a gatekeeper with that info, right? <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, like, unless there's a contract there, you really have no idea what to expect. I, I know some companies are hesitant to like include the win fee or the license fee in their, uh, pr like their brief or their pitch. But if I'm really curious, I'll just ask, like, there's no harm. Like I said, you got to put yourself out there. There's no harm in asking at the yeah. very least. They'll say, Hey, the client would prefer to, we prefer to not share that information. Um, but you do have the right to ask. So, yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And it's, it's good to hear because, you know, I, I've always been aware of like that traditional publishing, right? Where it's like, yeah, you get that advance and then you're just, you're writing songs and you're just spending all that time and you're not, not sure if you're going to get that money back ever um, yeah. versus at least when you have a demo fee and like you're covered. And, and I think that that, yeah. that definitely makes it uh, like, you know, like you said, the, the older you get, the more important money becomes, you know, whether we like it or not, that is the truth. It's like, <laughs> if we want to make a career off of it, it has to happen. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And you know what? I, I do think that maybe if I were working with a smaller publishing company, maybe it would be a different situation. Like maybe, you know, the, the likelihood of me writing stuff for them and it getting placed would actually be higher because I'm not going against, you know, the guys who produce for Drake, <laughs> you know, when fair. they're pitching for a, the new season of Dave or something like that. Um, that's just like, yeah, that's been my experience. But I think because of the, the like, the caliber of artist and producer that I'm 
working with and against in like the publishing, actual publishing side, not like the the work for hire composing side. Um, the the bar is like way higher, and not only is the bar higher, the pool is way bigger. I think at most when I'm doing this um, composing and producing for picture freelance with audio houses, I think I'm only competing with maybe ten people, you know, at the most at, at, any, at any given time. Uh, sometimes maybe as little as five people, which you know ups your chances significantly. Of course, yeah. No, that's really that's a really good point and uh, something that I think is important to know because yeah, you think like oh, I, it's kind of like. You know, coming from the band world, so many people, at least old school way of thinking of it was like a record label is going to save the day. You know, like you get this like big deal and like all of a sudden you become famous as a result of it. So people have that same thought still where it's like, oh, if I'm with the big publishing house, like I'm going to get the best gigs because they're the best of the best. And then you don't realize like, okay, well, now I'm this small fish in a big pond. That's exactly what it is. And it's not to say that you can't, you know, become that, that bigger fish at some point. Uh, some people are going to be quicker at it than others. Some people are going to be able to do it right away because they just like have that thing that that people want and what people are looking for. Um, I think I've become like very self-aware and very like cognizant of what my abilities are and what would set myself up against you know whoever else is in the room. Like, what can I offer that they can't? And right now, it's it's been within this advertising space. Um, it's it's been this ability to, you know, have a wide range of influences to pull from, um, this like kind of broad stroke palette, um, as well as like my turnaround time, I think is a huge appeal now where, you know, people will send me a job. They maybe already have writers on and think we could really use one more demo. There's only, you know, 12 hours till we present it to the client. Let's go to Brad. He can, he can do this. Um, and I, I think that's something I prioritized when I was getting into this as well. Is like just being able to, like I said, write something. Is it good? Give myself the thumbs up. Not worry or fuss too much about necessarily the mixer master. Like get it good to my ears, and trust that you know they will communicate that something that can always be adjusted uh, down the line. So having that you know turnaround time be be super quick and efficient is something I think I can offer at a quicker pace than most people. Yeah. Uh, even like our guitarist, Corey, who's a mixing engineer, he he works on a lot of music where he's turning things around quickly. Um, but I know sometimes I'll give him a little peek into my world and he's like sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Which now it doesn't, it doesn't seem like this high stakes, you know, anxiety inducing process for me. Like it, it seems fun. And when I'm given three days now, like that's, that's almost something that ends up shooting myself in the foot because when you're used to just like committing to ideas, um, you know, bouncing everything down within an hour of writing it. Uh, when you break that, <laughs> that yeah, that's true. Piece, you just start making weird decisions. Like, and I don't know if, if that's like something other people have experienced, but um, I've definitely like ruined mixes or like overthought arrangements or, you know, done things I should not have done because of the extra day or two to work on something. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Like you can start to overthink it. And even though you're done it, like, you know, you could be done it in an hour, but then like have an extra three days to be, to mm-hmm. sit on it and be like, oh, can I make a tweak to that? Like, you know, of course, as soon as you introduce that idea in your head, you're going to, you're going to go for it. You're going to try yeah. something. And then you're in this rabbit hole of like, you know, all these things that are probably just taking away from that initial gut feel of what, what yeah. it needs to be. And it's like super helpful too, to be able to go back to the brief, uh, if you have a written brief, I have some nightmare stories of like not receiving a written brief and just having to hope I made all the right notes over a phone call. Um, <laughs> but it is helpful to go back and you know see a note that says like we do not want music competing with what we're seeing on screen. Like that, yeah. a note like that is a game changer um, because you could have this amazing piece of music, but really at the end of the day, like. they don't want the listener really paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. They want maybe like evoking an emotion um, because of what they're seeing going hand in hand with your music. Um, And on the inverse, you might have, you know, a spot where the music is what sells the visual, you know, Um, there were like TikTok transition trends and stuff going on last year where that was a huge thing where they, 
you know, every fourth bar, we need like some earworm thing in the music because that's going to inform the visual transitions before they even shoot the commercial. Um, so it's, it's nice to remind yourself and like ground yourself like, okay, like I don't need to worry too much about this music because it, it literally is in the background. Like it might even be diegetic. It might be a piece of music that's sounding like it's coming from a diner, like on the radio. Like don't yeah. waste too much time on it. I'm glad that you brought that up though, because it it is you're going to be writing sometimes two music, sometimes or so, sometimes two pictures, sometimes not the picture. And, you know, that in itself is going to, it's the new challenge for, for writing something. Um, and it is interesting. There's that idea of like writing music that isn't going to be, it's going to be impactful, but not in the way of dialogue or of actually what's happening on the screen. So, um, you know, when it comes to writing music like that, um, like what considerations should people have about like thinking about, you know, if they don't have a visual, like what kind of considerations should people be thinking about to, to make sure that they're writing music that can be used? Yeah. For me, I think when it's a pre-visual project, so no commercial has been shot, no, uh, no trailers been filmed. Like they're starting with the music in mind. Um, and this is usually to like inform someone on the editing side at like the pace at which things are going to transition and stuff. You kind of have the luxury of, being a little more creative. Um, some people might find that challenging, but I think what I always try to do is, is read through like what the visual is going to eventually try to capture emotionally. Um, and if you can, it's like this gut feeling thing. I know I keep saying that, but to be able to sit down and write a chord progression or start with, you know, an, an impactful something that captures that gut feeling, that emotion uh, and what they're going for usually that's like a good sign you're on the right path. Um, because when people are listening to the music pre-visual, uh, it's just something they need to also feel as well. And I, I feel like most ears pick up on the same things. So if it's if it's something that already has picture, um, sometimes I, I start on, on different places. There's usually like an emphasis on what the most important part of the arrangement should be. Um, you might get a note that says, we want this, you know, super percussive. We want this very bouncy, bright, upbeat, uh, choppy, and this will inform X, Y, Z. If I see that, my jumping off point is the drums. Like I, I don't put a melody down. I don't put a bass line down. Um, I will open up contact and you know <laughs> fire away at percussion and, and try to get that because that's the thing that they're prioritizing. So before I even think about melody, like if that's already 80% of the way there, if that's sounding good to my ears, like that's a great place to start. Um, the melody is second in that sense. Um, but yeah, more often than not, I think, I think just trying to to write something that elicits an emotion that you'll get sent temp music every once in a while as well, which can be helpful um, just to like sonically put you in the right space. Uh, you know, they, Sometimes it's a bad thing because I've had projects where they'll send reference music. You go through nine rounds of revisions and shortlists and this whole thing just for them to end up using the temp music on the final <laughs> project. <laughs> Every, everyone like, I've ever talked to that's had to go against a temp score or something has always has the same story. You know? Yeah. So that that can be soul crushing. And then the more it happens, the more you get used to it and realize that's just the, the way of the world. Um, but what I find helpful to like, maybe give a director something that they're not expecting, even though they have this temp and they have this list of notes, listen to the temp. Don't worry about necessarily the melody again, like what's the emotion that the music is conveying. And there might be like a thing that stands out to you and you have to kind of trust yourself as, as a musician with like a musician's ear. Um, you know, the, it might be like, the pace in the crescendo of a piano at the end as like a spot builds, like that's the thing that like kind of gives you that jolt when you're watching it. Um, then you think, okay, that's the thing I'm going to implement on my piece of music, but I might not do it with piano. I might do it with strings or I might go straight percussion there. Um, it also helps to just have like silence. Even if you have temp music, I'll often a B with temp music. And then I will watch it with nothing because when I watch it with nothing, it's interesting to write on a, like, you know, in MIDI, whether it's a piano or whatever, where I think music should be, if it's more of a scored sort of piece. Um, and then turning on their audio and seeing like where you 
kind of intersect. Like, okay, the temp music and my brain told me that this is the spot that music needs to be present. Like this needs to be in the forefront. Um, there might be a moment where you don't want music at all, which I think is like the most impactful thing, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. There's something that drives me nuts in movies and no shade to Hans Zimmer, but like there's nothing I hate more than an overscored piece of picture, whether it's a movie or show or trailer or commercial. Like the coolest moments to me are when you're building and things disappear. Um, so trying to find like a moment in a spot is like super helpful. And it's really hard to do that when you're only focusing on the temp music or you're only focusing on like the crazy sound design that's going on. It really helps to just keep things silent and try to hear it in your head as like what makes sense. Mm-hmm. And are you fo- like, are you doing like the sound design portion of it as well? Like, or is it, or is it just like the music and then some sound effects editors doing their own thing or like what? Yeah. If I'm feeling cheeky, <laughs> I will uh, okay. <laughs> add some sound design. Sometimes like the extent that I'll do it too is, you know, a, a picture might start on a scene and then as the camera pulls away, you realize it's happening on the TV. So I might like transform the audio into this diegetic, like in the room sound. Um, and there's like sound design things I'll do every now and again, where if I see something on the screen, you know, twirling from left to right, I'll make sure I have something in the audio that can signal to the, the viewer to pay attention to this thing going from left to right, you know, whether it's like text or it's a, I don't know, a Nike shoe <laughs> flying yeah, across yeah. the screen. Like those are things that are really uh, good to pay attention to because you can use audio as your friend and sound design as your friend. Um, sometimes I'm like given a sound design track from an audio house. The, most of them have sound designers, but even then I think everyone's appreciative of like those little details that you might find because you know, they might just be doing the Foley and, you know, the big whooshes and impact sounds and stuff like that, but they might not think to, you know, to do like a spherical pan on something you see on screen, or they might not think to, you know, high pass and low pass, like some, some instrument that makes sense in relation to what the, the viewer is seeing. I love it, man. Dude, this is a, uh, it's really fascinating. Cause like, yeah, there are so many different, like it's just a different approach to writing. You know, it's it's not like your typical band thing where no. you have a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, whatever, you know, it's like you're really reacting yeah. to what's there and trying to evoke an emotion. Yeah. yeah. And and like, I think that what I would consider like the biggest emphasis I could put on any sort of project like this, it's similar to writing band music where whether it's the chorus or a moment in the bridge, and maybe this is also just because of the kind of music my bands make where it's like, you know, almost over emotional, <laughs> uh, quote unquote, emo, punk rock, whatever, alt rock music. Um, I've always liked writing where there is like a moment in a song, whether that's instrumental or lyrical. So transferring that to like a, a music for media, music for picture sort of landscape, um, your, your chorus is like the goosebump moment. That's something you'll find very often uh, in a brief or working with a director. Um, if it's not a goosebump moment, they want the like the pin drop moment, or they want you know this moment that like you can't you can't do anything but like have your eyes fixated on the screen, absorbing what you're seeing. Um, so our job as composers and and musicians and writers is treat it like a chorus, like that that's your moment, or you know the the big final line in a bridge, like this is the moment you want people to take away, and you want to do your best. To your own ability to like elevate the visual um unless you know unless you're told other- otherwise but uh yeah i think treating that like a chorus and like finding finding that moment is like key and sometimes it's a struggle sometimes you'll you'll get a job where they want that moment and you maybe it's not there in the video and maybe you don't have a video yet so it's hard to imagine where it is uh, or what makes sense um, and that's fine. That's just like, like you said, you got it used to rejection. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you're not the person for the job, which is, is all good. It's also super motivating to end up, you know, you see the commercial that you didn't get two months, three months down the road and think, yeah, like that person deserved that because I couldn't have written this like that. That's a perspective mm-hmm. and like came from someone's ear, you know, that's not my own. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a fascinating world. And I, I used to work in audio post-production too. And, and, uh, one of one of the things that always caught my attention there was like anytime you work with the producer, there's just so many different opinions of what's what's good and bad and and you yeah. know like and uh, 
it's it's a hard hard gig because you're always dealing with someone else's opinion and yeah it's not necessarily about who's best you know that's the thing you know like a lot of my peers a lot of my peers that don't necessarily do what i do but they're in music creation and stuff um i mentioned this earlier but like the comparison game is it's like a killer it's it's like so parasitic to to constantly be doing that because music's like so objective like that that's all it is you know um so when someone lands a job and you don't, or you, you might have like a month stretch where you're like demoing, demoing, it doesn't mean that like you've lost it. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you don't have that touch anymore. Or like, you know, someone's outperforming you or, you know, sometimes that's the case. And that's like a great motivator to, to be better, but just like reassuring yourself that, Hey, you know, I wrote a great piece of music and trusting, you know, and having that confidence in yourself. Um, it's like, a, it's a good way to like, I guess, keep the vibe up, keep, keep the mood up, keep it something you want to keep coming back to. Cause you know, now I'm faced with rejection all the time, but it doesn't seem like rejection to me. It's just when I'm writing these demos, uh, for advertising, let's say when I write them, like that is the job. If I get the license on top, then that's like, you know, your, your bonus Christmas pay, <laughs> let's call it. It's that, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm going into it like in the back of my mind, obviously like hoping I get the job, but I'm just writing for this demo fee. Like that's, that's what the job is. And you know, if I get uh, Hey, you didn't land this one, you can send us an invoice and send us the stems for this track. Cool. Like move Still on. Win. Move on to the next, yeah. Move on to the next thing. Uh, it's, yeah. it's not the end of the world. And uh, yeah, the, the more you can also kind of take a peek at the things that are landing. Like if you do find yourself in my position and you're working in this world, um, it is like a, a fun exercise to kind of take away like, yeah, this, that's not how I would have done it, but I can see why this director went with this track. You know, uh, it might be something as simple as like, they, they didn't like the saxophone sound I had, or they didn't like how my cello was like too oversaturated in reverb, or it might be these little details. Um, th- these are good things to like kind of catalog and take note of. Yeah. Dude, I, I found this so fascinating talk, talking with you about all this stuff. And um, I know it, it, this is a, an area of the music industry that I get a lot of questions about and a lot of students that are working on stuff and wanting to get sync deals and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's good to hear from someone who is making a career out of this stuff, you know, and like yeah, yeah. living it and seeing like exactly what your process is. And um, I think it's good for people to hear about the ups and downs and the rejections and this and that, because it's, it's, it's the reality. So um, it it helps you like carve your own path. Like if anything else, it helps you really figure out, like I might be good at a million things, you know, and that might be something you sell yourself on, but what is the thing like out of those million things, what is the one thing like that can kind of encapsulate like your skill set? And I think like going through the rejection and and then you know the uncomfortable networking phases and putting yourself out there and taking a shot in the dark like doing all this stuff will help you realize like what's worth pursuing what's worth maybe deviating from or, or taking a step back from um and then like you know you might have the bonus of like finding your own like musical identity and voice in that as well which is you know something everyone strives for yeah but yeah at the end of the day like you know, I got into music to play in bands, not realizing like this is this whole new thing that I'm doing now. It's this will be what I do for most of my life now. Like, like this is this will be almost what defines like my my musical ability, um, and kind of like what I present to the world. You know, uh, so yeah, I think just like finding your lane and like doing what you got to do to make it work. People might surprise themselves, and you know, I have friends that are mixing engineers that if you told them 15 years ago, like you're going to be, you're not going to be the guy on stage <laughs> playing drums. You're going to be the guy sitting at a computer, turning knobs and then working with outboard gear. They might've scratched their heads, but now they can't see it any other way, you know? Yeah. Um, so it kind of just takes like immersing yourself in, in new things. Of course. I love it. Dude, I think that's a perfect spot to wrap up. But uh, if people want to learn more about you or your bands or whatever online, like where's the best place for them to do that? Um, I have a website with my own personal stuff that is in desperate need of updating. Um, but you can check that out at, uh, www.bradxgarcia.com. Um, I got links to, you know, ads I've worked on if people are interested in that. And as for the bands, um, 
you can follow us on Instagram or TikTok and all that stuff. Uh, we're at Locket. Um, I think on Twitter we might be something else, but who cares about that app anyways? <laughs> and then uh, my other band is at Lake Pacific. Right on. Brad, thank you so much for doing this. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So that was my chat with Brad Garcia, and I really enjoyed that. I think if you're someone who is trying to find different avenues in the music industry to make a career out of it and to utilize your songwriting skills and your production skills and all that kind of stuff, I think that the music publishing side of things is very, very fascinating. And I really enjoyed learning more about that process with Brad and what kind of opportunities come up and what the revision process is like and the speed of it and even just the idea of the work for hire jobs versus traditional publishing. I love that Brad talked about that because I think that that is a a really important thing to understand if you're going to get into this industry. If you're trying to make decisions as to whether you should sign with a publisher or if you should do it all on your own and go freelance, you know, I think Brad brought up some really good points about all of that here. And I also really appreciated the detail that he went into in terms of how he dissects the projects that he gets and, you know, how he comes up with music and what kind of things he's considering as he's writing. That's all really important stuff. And I know I've had a lot of students reach out to me saying like, how do I get my songs licensed or how do I do songs for film and TV? And I think that if you take what Brad talked about in this episode, you can apply a lot of this and definitely get some great results. So definitely go back to this episode, take all the advice and take action on what Brad talked about here. And I think that if you follow all of that, you can increase your chances of getting your songs licensed and potentially making a bunch of money with it too. So, hey, that's always good too, right? So, yeah, I definitely really enjoyed having Brad on here and I thought it was great to have someone talk about music publishing because we talk a lot about all the technical, nerdy stuff about production, but I also think it's really important to talk about various areas of the industry where you can utilize these skills. So, super glad to have Brad on the podcast and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please make sure to subscribe to it. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. Morning. And if you're someone who is working on music at home and you're not quite getting your music to the quality standards that you expect to hear, if you're looking for personal one-on-one help with that, inside of my coaching program, Amplitude, I work directly with my students to offer personalized, actionable feedback on what you can do with your tracks. You simply send your songs in once you're done mixing them, and you're going to get a detailed video walking you through all of the different steps with EQ, compression, volume, automation, whatever your songs need to help it get to that next level. And inside of this program, not only do you get that actionable feedback, but we get to go back and forth on it as well. So you're not just getting one set of notes and trying it out and then discovering that you have new problems in your mix and you're not sure what to do with those. Instead, we work back and forth on your songs until they're done. This way you can feel completely confident that you've taken the right steps with your songs and you can get them to a level where you're ultimately proud of them and excited to release them. Now, in addition to getting one-on-one support and feedback through this program, you also get access to a ton of extra training to help you throughout the entire recording, editing, and mixing process. So you're basically getting hand-holding all the way through the process to make sure you're covering the right steps. Plus, in addition to all of that training, you also get access to mastering and a whole bunch more. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, make sure to visit masteryourmix.com forward slash amplitude. And that's where you can find all the information about the program. And then I'd love to hop on a call with you to learn more about your specific goals and what kind of projects you're working on to see if I can truly help. And if it does seem like we can truly help you out, then I'd love to have you in the program and work directly with you. So once again, make sure to visit masteryourmix.com forward slash amplitude to find out all the info there. With that said, we've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. And I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com. Thanks for listening.